You know, I, I, I didn't think I would have to, after we killed one of the worst men on the planet uh, and protected American lives, I didn't think I would have to spend the rest of the, the time on PR pushback against the Democrats and the media. It is striking uh, how the Ayatollah doesn't have to hire a PR firm. He's got the American news media to do the pushing for him. It, it's I, I'm, I'm kind of shocked by it all, and, and I realize I shouldn't be at this point. But I am. Welcome. It is Eric Erickson here, the Eric Erickson Show across the state of Georgia. The phone number, if you would like to be a part of the program today, is 877-97-ERIC, 877-973-7425. CNN yesterday had on, a, a buddy of mine kept track of this, CNN had on 13 Obama administration officials and six Democratic Congress critters to talk about Iran, they had on six Republicans who would push back. The Republicans were all uniformly met with uh, extreme criticism, and the Democrats were, were met uh, with open arms. The media is out today just mourning the loss of General Soleimani uh, as if he's a friend of theirs. He was a war hero, the commander of Iran's feared Quds Force. Qasem Soleimani was no ordinary general. The U.S. officially classified him as a terrorist, but in Iran, he was a national hero. He's regarded as personally incredibly brave. The troops love him. I was trying to think of somebody, and I was thinking of de Gaulle. A revered figure in Iran and some other places in the Middle East. Smart, charismatic, ruthless, strategic, and bold. His power made Iranians proud. But even many of Soleimani's enemies admitted he was a military genius. Qasem Soleimani was an evil genius. Soleimani was in charge of spreading Iranian influence around the world, and he was extremely good at it. He is the, think of the French Foreign Legion, you know, if you will. By killing Qasem Soleimani, the U.S. has stripped Iran of an inspirational military leader. The crowds are massive and emotional. There are many tears here. Thousands of mourners on the streets in Iran. Symbolic caskets aloft, weeping and chanting, I am Soleimani. The supreme leader of Iran weeping and praying over a coffin draped in the Iraqi flag. It's difficult to convey how revered he is. There was talk in Iran Soleimani might be a future president or perhaps even a supreme leader. <laughs> okay, first of all, I, 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 part of the montage I, I would take issue with slightly in that it is worth us understanding how the Iranians saw Soleimani. And I do think it is fair to say in Iran, a lot of people revered him. A, a lot of people did view him as a de Gaulle, things like that. Uh, that. That's not to offend you. It's to show you the prestige that the Iranian elite held him at. But I think that's key because so much of the reporting has been on the Iranian people themselves. In fact, here's Foreign Policy magazine. Let me read you this tweet. Uh, went up last night at 7 o'clock. Americans painted him as a hardliner, but for Iranians, Soleimani was an apolitical patriot. An apolitical patriot. So the entire regime, apparently it's patriotic to be terroristic because that's what he did. Uh, listen, the Washington Post, to their credit, is running an op-ed from uh, Mashi Alinejad. Uh, look, I'm butchering the name and I grew up over there. Mashi Alinejad. Forget it. An Iranian journalist. She's a women's rights campaigner. She is on Voice of America's Persian News Service. And I want to read this to you. 
part of it. Over the next few days, it will be hard to escape footage of huge crowds gathering in Iranian cities to mourn the death of Qasem Soleimani, the Iranian general killed by a U.S. drone strike. For anyone watching, I have one piece of advice. Don't take what you're seeing at face value. This past November, thousands of Iranians took to the streets across the country to protest against the regime in the biggest challenge to the clerical rule in 40 years. According to Reuters, more than 1,500 people were killed by security forces, including units of Soleimani's Revolutionary Guard. And at least 7,000 have been arrested. The internet was shut down for five days. Tehran has yet to release official figures of its own, which suggests the death toll may have been even higher. The pro- Protesters had harsh words for Soleimani and his foreign adventures, chanting against Iran's involvement in Syria and its support of Hezbollah. That came as a shock to the regime, which portrays Soleimani as Supreme Leader Ayatollah Ali Khamenei's adopted son. Of course, people across the political divide are concerned about war. Nobody wants President Trump to bomb Iran's cultural or historic sites, as he threatened. I myself denounced the tweet. But what to make of the crowds of flag-waving mourners streaming across television screens? Without doubt, Soleimani had support among hardliners and regime loyalists. The regime is not taking any chances, though. In the city of Avaz, where large numbers of people turned out to mourn Soleimani, the government forced students and officials to attend. It provided free transport and ordered shops to shut down. According to videos sent to me by people inside the country, the authorities are making little kids write essays praising the fallen commander. First graders who didn't know how to write were encouraged to cry for Soleimani. Some Iranians have compared the funeral service for Soleimani to those held for the Nazi leader Reinhard Heydrich, the butcher of Prague, killed by Allied agents during World War II. Soleimani was not a benign official. In 1999, he was among the Revolutionary Guard leaders who demanded that then-President Mohammad Khatami crush university student demonstrations or face consequences. Current Supreme Leader Khamenei praised Soleimani for staunch defense of Syrian leader Bashar al-Assad, who has killed hundreds of thousands of his own people. Few Syrians are mourning him. The media in the Islamic Republic is heavily controlled. Public gatherings are allowed only if they are pro-regime. Critics are jailed or shot. Even I, living outside the country, have received a death threat over the coverage of Soleimani's killing. So it's not hard to use all the tools and resources of the state to stage a funeral procession. I have more than 4 million followers on various social media networks, and I've received thousands of messages, voicemails, and videos from Iranians in cities such as Siraz, Isfahan, Tehran, and even Avaz, who are happy about Soleimani's death. Some complain of the pressure to attend services for him. There are many Iranian voices who think Soleimani was a war criminal, but Western journalists rarely reach out to them. Ironically, the Western media is more skeptical of such state-organized events in other countries, such as Russia or North Korea, but seem to leave its critical at the border when it comes to the Islamic Republic. While it's true that Western correspondents face daunting conditions when it comes to reporting the truth from Iran, that shouldn't excuse the many times we've shown unwarranted gullibility towards the official version of events. Remember all the articles that predicted how Iranians were going to unite in resistance to Donald Trump's sanctions. The same analysts who missed November's protest are now predicting Iranians will rally around the flag. This sorely underestimates the anger and resentment over the crackdown. The authorities forced many families to pay blood money in order to receive the bodies of their loved ones from the morgue. Some even had to sign official forms waiving the right to hold a public funeral as a condition of getting bodies returned. Two weeks ago, the parents and nine other family members of Puya Bakhtiri 
a 27-year-old engineer killed during the protest was a, were arrested to stop them from having funeral services. Two days later, on December 26, thousands of security forces used armor cars, water cannons, and even helicopters to deploy to stop mourning ceremonies for some of the victims. Those families are not mourning Soleimani. In 2009, the Revolutionary Guards led the crackdown on the so-called Green Movement protests against the disputed presidential election. Many of the mothers of those killed in 2009 and 2017 and 2019 are rejoicing about Soleimani's death. How do I know? Because they've sent me videos of themselves speaking to the camera, dancing or sharing cakes and sweets. This is a journalist with a huge following inside Iran. The American government allows her to broadcast on the Voice of America Persian service so that Iranians with radios can listen to her. And she's telling us not to believe it. Meanwhile, you've got American media outlets covering live the events in Iran. Now, full disclosure here, you do need to understand, and in defense of part, one of the criticisms I've seen of the media, Martha Raddatz and others are wearing their heads covered in, in, in typical uh, garments in Iran. Uh, that is not them being respectful. They are required by law to do it. There is no exception for Westerners in Iran. If you want to be, a, if you're a Western female journalist going to Iran, you have to cover your hair. It is the law there. You will go to jail otherwise. They don't care that you're an American. So don't attack the media for doing that. But what is striking is the coverage of the media in Iran. They are taking the talking points of the re Iranian regime at face value. You know, the, the media has spent 72 hours blowing up President Trump for suggesting we might target cultural sites in Iran. War crime! War crime! I mean, they, they've lost their minds. This is a hypothetical thing that will be carried out by the American military that will pick the targets. The President of the United States is not going to pick the targets. They will explain to him that it is a war crime if he were to blow up certain cultural sites. For example, the, shrine, uh, the prophet Daniel is buried in Iran. His shrine is known. His burial place is known. It is a huge deal to both uh, Iranians and to Jews and Christians who live in Iran. Believe it or not, there are lots of Jews and Christians there. We would not blow that up. That would be a war crime under the Geneva Convention. That wouldn't be targeted. There are plenty of other things, though, that would be targeted, uh, military, um, eh, political alike. Well, the Iranians are coming out now saying that uh, one of their targets may be Arlington National Cemetery. You do not hear the same American media screaming about Donald Trump, screaming about the, the Iranians. In fact, they're giving fawning coverage to the Iranians. Uh, you've got CNN in complete damage control uh, for the Obama legacy. Again, 13 Obama administration officials in, in one or, or two circumstances. You had the daughter of Valerie Jarrett and Jim Sudo, who worked for the Obama national security apparatus, both now CNN employees interviewing other Obama administration officials about how terrible it was. CNN used to be attacked as the Clinton News Network. Listen, I've got a lot of friends at CNN. I worked there for three years. There are a lot of good people there. Some of them you would hate and think are liberals. I actually think are pretty fair journalists, but this is embarrassing for someone who worked at the network and cares about the network like I do. It is embarrassing to see CNN using Obama administration officials to blow up the Trump administration for daring to kill a man who killed almost a thousand American soldiers. And yet they are. The media is embarrassing themselves. You know, you know who's almost as embarrassing as the media? Listen to this. The Democrats coming out to condemn the president, praise Soleimani and the like. 
Tragically, his actions now put us on the path to another war. He's been erratic and unsuccessful in almost every previous foreign policy endeavor. This one is the most dangerous of all. We are not safer today than we were before Donald Trump acted. We seem to have accomplished what Soleimani was trying to do but couldn't. So in death, he's actually accomplished his goal. Picking out a bad guy is not a good idea unless you are ready for what comes next. This is and was an enormous escalation. An enormous escalation. Let me tell you that overnight, uh, intelligence officials have come out um, mostly on background, and they are pushing back hard on others within the intelligence community saying there wasn't enough intelligence to justify the stack. Now, uh, you know enough already to know that people like the whistleblower in the intelligence community have been relied on by the media to undermine the president from day one. I mean, the, the the leaking that has come out of the intelligence community against this administration, it, 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 I've never been one to believe in the deep state conspiracy. And then the New York Times started running stories on how there was a deep state. It was out to get Trump, and that's a good thing. So who are we supposed to believe now, the New York Times or, or what? And there were a series of, of people who came out into the media and said, actually, there wasn't enough intelligence to, to do this. There wasn't enough intelligence to justify this. The, we, we, we really don't know what Soleimani was doing. And they came on background. They didn't want their name out there. Well, now senior administration officials, people within the intelligence community, the Pentagon, the National Security Agency, the National Security Council, and others are doing the same thing on background. And you know the media reaction? Well, you have to go on record. So they'll let the sources out there that they trust be on background without their names in print. And the rest of these people have to come out and put their name in print to push back on the lies. You do not have to be a military intelligence analyst to hang on to this one detail of the um, uh, of the story from the New York Times that supposedly undermines Trump's justification. There is one detail that no one needs to be an expert to appreciate. According to these sources who told the New York Times we really didn't have enough evidence, what evidence did we have? Suleimani was planning something, and it was so big he was going to have to fly back to Iran after meeting with the people in Iraq and get the Ayatollah's personal sign-off on whatever it was. You do not have to be a genius. You do not have to be an expert. You do not have to be in the military. You do not have to be in the intelligence community to understand that's a really big freaking deal. If the general in charge of the their, their paramilitary forces goes to Iraq, meets with the paramilitary forces he has assigned in Iraq, and then has to go back to the Ayatollah to get permission to do something, that's a really big idea, particularly considering in the last 14 days there have been 14 attacks on Americans in Iraq. In addition to attacks now in Kenya on Americans from an unrelated group affiliated with Al-Qaeda. Are they working together? We know from the 9-11 Commission report, even though the media says it's not true, the 9-11 Commission report says the Iranian leadership, that would have been Soleimani, allowed al-Qaeda to float in and out of Iran on the way to Afghanistan. Y'all, why is the American media carrying water for a terrorist regime that oversaw the killings of thousands of Americans? Why is the American media carrying water for a dead man who oversaw the deaths of at least 700 Americans? Trump derangement syndrome goes deep in the American media these days.
they can do nothing to give this man credit if it might help him in 2020. And being a strong leader against a terrorist regime that has killed thousands of Americans by taking out a man who himself is responsible for killing over 700 Americans is what a strong leader would do. And the media is so scared of Donald Trump getting reelected in 2020, they can't play this straight. They've got to do what they can to help the Democrats. And to help the Democrats, ironically, they got to help the Iranians. It is Eric Erickson here, the Eric Erickson Show, 877-97-ERIC, 877-973-7425. I promise, I promise, I promise, I will send a recipe this week. It will be, it's one I've sent in the past, and I've gotten a bunch of recommendations for it to, to please send it again. It is the sour cream pound cake recipe that my wife makes. It is, well, we've had several pound cake recipes in our house that we've used, and this has become the, the recipe that we always go to. It is a fantastic recipe. And I will send it this week. Now, if you want to get, if you're already subscribed, you don't have to subscribe again. But if you're not subscribed and you want the recipe list, the, the list, it doesn't get sold. I'm not going to give the list to anyone. You're not going to get a bunch of spam. Just a, the occasional recipe from me. All you do is you, in your text messaging, whatever you use for text messaging, um, the number that you use is 33777 and just send the word recipe. Text the word recipe to the number 33777. What will happen is you will get back a text asking for your email address. You put in your email address and you're subscribed and you'll get the recipe. And in fact, you'll get an email from me after you send that uh, saying, here are all the other recipes I've sent in the past. And I will send out the sour cream pound cake recipe tomorrow. Oh, it's such a good recipe. Um, I, I, I got to step away from Iran for a minute. There's plenty of stuff still to talk about about Iran, but this is such a terrible idea. And it is... Um, it is from the Associated Press. It says the United States is to start collecting DNA from people detained at the border. Uh, the U.S. government on Monday launched a pilot program to collect DNA from people in immigration custody and submit it to the FBI with plans to expand nationwide. In Detroit, people as young as 14 will be subject to DNA collection. The information would go into a massive criminal database and held indefinitely. U.S. citizens and permanent residents holding a green card who are detained could be subject to it, as well as asylum seekers and people entering the country without authorization. Refusing to submit DNA could lead to a misdemeanor criminal charge. No! I'm, I'm not even a libertarian and I oppose this idea. This is a horrible idea. I'm not opposed to it if it's an asylum seeker or people trying to get here illegally. But an American citizen being detained until they hand over their DNA should be unconstitutional. And you should be opposed to it. Y'all, do you know how many crimes you already break in a day? It is absurd how over-criminalized the United States has become. I actually, uh, you know, Governor Kemp here in Georgia wants to seriously crack down on crime, and I'm totally down with him cracking down on crime. I think it's a good thing. We should crack down on crime. Uh, we should be harder on gang crimes. In his State of the State speech coming up next week, he wants a big deal uh, about cracking down on gang crime. We should. 
But the federal government itself should get rid of most of its laws, um, most of its criminal law, because the federal government should not be in the criminal law and business. That's for the states, not the federal government. In a database? No, this is a horrible idea. You should oppose it. CNN is has given an interview to Iran's foreign minister, Javad Zarif, who is calling President Trump um, a state sponsor of terrorism. The United States is a state sponsor of terrorism, according to him. Why is CNN doing this? Um, you know, here's the thing. Let me, let me, so, you know, the way, the way I do my show typically is I get up, uh, every morning between six and six 30. I look through, get all the different sound bites I think would be useful for the show. Uh, it, it kind of aggravates, uh, Charlie to some degree cause I get all the sound bites and then I do an outline of the show and then the sound bites, I, I fit them in where I can. And some of them are left on the cutting room floor, so to speak, uh, as, as opposed to doing the show and then finding the sound bites to go with it. But it's just, it's more efficient for me to do it that way. And I do an outline every day of the things that I want to talk about and uh, keep it up. And it just kind of, yeah, I've talked about this, talked about this, talked about this. I want to circle back to this. I, and I'm, I'm going to go off script. I don't actually write it. You know, there are some radio show hosts. I'll give you a secret. There are some radio show hosts who have people write monologues for them. You think I'm making it up, and I'm not. There are some radio show hosts out there who will have someone write a monologue for them. I used to have someone who worked for me who was a producer, uh, and her side job, her side gig, was she wrote monologues for a radio show host, not me. Uh, I, you know, I talk off the top of my head and it gets me into trouble sometimes. And, and I occasionally have more ums and uhs than someone who reads a script, but I don't want a script. I want to be flexible. Don't want to be bound to a script. You can tell though. You can tell, listen to certain radio show hosts. And one of the things you will hear is that very typically you will hear them say the instead of the. When you're talking at a casual pace and you hear someone talking and, and they're talking about the dog, they say the dog. They don't say the dog, the, instead of the. But when you're reading from something, you tend to pronounce words differently. For example, you, you tend to pronounce a instead of a, the instead of the. And when you're listening to someone on radio and it sounds like they're reading, they're probably reading. Like I just, I read you part of that Washington Post piece. You could tell I was reading it from the, the cadence of my voice that I had to be reading something as opposed to right now where I'm, I'm rambling and talking off the top of my head about random topics. But nonetheless, so I got an outline of the things I want to talk about. And I'm going to completely diverge. This isn't even on the outline of stuff I was going to talk about. But here we go with a devil may care attitude. I tweeted this this morning when I got up that much of the American media these days seems not to tell us the truth or what facts are out there, but to reassure us that an elite worldview that is highly secular and highly progressive is good for us. And in that elite worldview of secular progressivism in the United States, abortion on demand is a good thing. Drug culture really isn't bad. 
everything is predicated on race in this country, and we are the chief aggressor in the world. So, for example, there have been a lot of media think pieces in the past. I, I didn't talk about the Golden Globes a lot. You know, when I was at Fox, uh, well, yeah, okay, let me back up. So, back in 2009, CNN made me an offer to come to CNN. And Sean Hannity, who is a friend, uh, told me I should go talk to Bill Shine, who was then at Fox, uh, Roger Ailes' right-hand man. So I went to, to Bill Shine at Fox, and he said, listen, we'd love to have you. We're not going to pay you as much as what CNN's going to pay you, uh, but you'll be safe here as opposed to at CNN. And, and he, he made the point. He said, you know, the difference between CNN and MSNBC and Fox is that Fox pays attention to what people within 100 miles of a river valley pay attention to. And people at CNN and MSNBC pay attention to what people within 25 to 50 miles of a coast pay attention to. And they are diametrically opposed. And the reason that Fox is number one is not because they're conservative. It's that they pay attention to people in the heartland and CNN and, and MSNBC. They're in this uh, bubble of people along the coast that are that's highly liberal. So one of the examples he gave is that at CNN, this is where I'm going with this, uh, at CNN, they would spend inordinate coverage on the Golden Globes and the Oscars, and at Fox, they will rarely ever cover it unless something happens that's in your face to progressive secularists on the coast. And sure enough, there has been inordinate coverage of the Golden Globes at CNN and MSNBC. And the only thing from the Golden Globes that Fox News has bothered to cover is the Ricky Gervais monologue where he was in your face uh, to the left in Hollywood, joking about their friendships with Jeffrey Epstein, uh, joking about that they're less educated than Greta Thunberg, who herself isn't very educated. She dropped out of school. Uh, and, and on and on it goes. Well, at CNN and MSNBC, MSNBC in particular, They've been blasting Ricky Gervais for insulting Hollywood. I, I actually saw a piece at Slate. It's a Slate take, so you, you do understand it's somewhat somewhat dumb. Um, it, but it, it basically began that we're at a time of crisis in America. Impeachment looms. The president just started World War III. The climate is changing horrifically. It's a somber mood at the Golden Globes. And in comes Ricky Gervais to insult everyone to their face. The whole thing was ridiculous. It really, really was ridiculous. But what this all ties to, and where I'm going, see, I'm going off my outline, that can sometimes be a problem, is there are two worlds in which we live. There's reality and there's what is reflected in the prevailing zeitgeist of the American media elite. There is this view, for example, that abortion is without consequence. So when Michelle, what's her name, Williams or whoever, uh, the actress stood up at the Golden Globes, in contrast to Ricky Gervais, who the media insulted terribly, the media essentially took this monologue from Michelle Williams in defense of abortion and how she couldn't have been successful had she not killed her child. And by the way, I've seen people in Hollywood pushing back on those of us pointing out this killing child. You're killing a child. You are killing a human being when you commit an abortion. Let's not dance around it and give it euphemisms like abortion. Uh, it is a child. It is a human being in an early developmental stage and you have chosen to kill it. 
and the media thinks it's fine. As much as they're condemning Ricky Gervais, they are uh, praising her for her bravery for standing on stage and saying something that the rest of the crowd and the media agree with. I'm sorry, when the hell did bravery in this country become that you tell people what they want to hear? It's so brave! Donald Trump's a garbage human being. It's so brave! No, everybody in the room already agrees with it, you idiots! The, the, the idea that uh, standing on stage at the Golden Globes and talking about how killing my kill kid helped me be successful. <gasps> it's so brave. Half the people in the room, including some of the men, have done it too. How is it brave? Hey, you, you can't judge me on that men part because they might identify now. You never know. <sighs> That's the other ridiculous thing. The, the whole pronouns non, nonsense. It's just the thing is ridiculous. It, the whole thing is ridiculous. And yet, this is the way the American media shapes the news these days. It's not about what's true. We're in a post-truth America. It's not about what's right. Uh, who can tell you right or wrong when you're in a morally relative society? What it is is essentially the defense of their worldview, that a secular elite in this country is wise and great and everyone else is not. So, for example, um, the, the March for Our Lives nonsense. You know, anytime any conservative group comes out and does something, one of the first things the media seizes on is, who is funding it who is funding this shadowy group on the right turns out that uh, 95% of the money uh, for the March for Our Lives anti-gun group cause came from people who gave over $100,000 99.5% of the money came from people who gave over $50,000 where is the media questioning the shadow elite shadowy elite shaping the anti-gun movement. No, no, you're not going to hear that because the media agrees with it. CNN is going to have on all the Obama administration officials even being interviewed by former Obama administration officials who are now CNN employees about how great the Iran deal was and how bad Donald Trump is because it's their worldview that matters. It's not the truth that matters. It's not facts that matter. It's not right or wrong that matters. And let's be real honest here. Um, if we're going to do whataboutism here, there are people on the right who feel very much the same way these days. It is all in defense of their own precious. Donald Trump can do no wrong and he can't be questioned. There are real screw-ups that do have to be examined, though. There are real facts. And unfortunately, the Pentagon has played a very, made a very big screw-up. The Pentagon sent notice to Iraq that we would be withdrawing troops from Iraq. It was a huge headline yesterday. Until the joint chairman of the Joint Chiefs of Staff came out and said the letter was a draft and wasn't meant to be sent to Iraq. <sighs> Yeah, they screwed that one up. And so now, of course, the secular elite in the media are saying, they screwed this up. How do we know they got the intelligence right on Soleimani? How do we know? How can we be sure? The Obama administration officials tell us it was a bad idea, and we believe them. We used to have a time in this country where we had partisan presses, you, you know, you'd have the um, the the whatever Democrat or the the whatever Republic, uh, the the Republic newspaper or the Republican newspaper, or the Democrat newspaper, and you had party organs, and those were newspapers. And occasionally, you would have something like the Associated Press that would send a straightforward news story that both the the Democratic news organ and the Republican news organ they could both run. 
uh, and that would play it straight. And now the press, uh, those Republican news organs have lar- largely gone away. The Democratic news organs have propped up, and the Associated Press has gone in with the secular elite in this country. The secular elite in this country believe that abortion on demand is a good thing without consequence. Many of them have had it. And you as a person who is is middle class, who goes out, you're a woman and you get an abortion and they never tell you about the devastating psychological consequences of getting an abortion. The number of women in this country who believe that they can be carefree and get an abortion and are overcome with guilt afterwards is staggering. But you don't hear those stories in the media. You don't hear about the suicide rate of women who have had abortions. You don't hear about the women who deeply regret it. You don't hear about the women who became pro-life after having had their abortion. You never hear those stories in the media. You never hear the stories about the woman who was told that she needed to have an abortion because her child was going to be deformed and she doesn't have the abortion and the child is just fine. You never hear those stories in the media because the media, the secular elite, believe abortion on demand is good because it helps your career and they praise someone like Michelle Williams getting on stage and saying that because they all believe it and they herald her as a brave truth teller because she told everybody in the crowd and on CNN and MSNBC exactly what they already believe. They herald the people from the Obama administration coming in and saying that the Iranians are good and the Americans are bad because they already believe it. The entire world is shaped these days in our conscience among casual news consumers by a group of people who blame the United States for being aggressors, believe that abortion on demand is a good thing, that active government involvement in every aspect of our lives is necessary, and anyone who says otherwise is bad. It is reflected on a daily basis in the press. And that is why so many in the media with a straight face can come out and treat this funeral procession in Iran as if it's legit and do their best to ignore an op-ed. It's not even, notice, there's no actual reporting in the Washington Post about how the Iranians force people at gunpoint to go to funerals. That's not a reported story, even though it's true. It's got to be someone in an op-ed. And the rest of the media can say, well, this is just an op-ed. It's not a news story. We're not going to use an op-ed to shape the news because that's opinion. Meanwhile, all you get in the press is opinion these days. These people, they, they really, they don't like us, do they? Now, to be fair, there are some really good reporters out there. There really are. E- e- even at MSNBC, at CNN, the like, there are really good reporters who just want to tell the truth, who want to tell you the facts, who don't want to tell you what to think. They just want to give you enough information so you can think for yourself. They really do exist. They're just increasingly in the minority. They are increasingly an endangered species. And the more you pay attention to who gets hired in the media to help develop the news, increasingly what we're seeing is people coming from left-wing think tanks and left-wing journalistic organizations into the mainstream media. Uh, NBC News, their their political editor, they, they just hired someone to be a policy editor for their political division. He's from a left-wing uh, news organization. Guess what the NBC, I mean, it's not like NBC News can go further left than they already are. But time and time again, this happens in the media. They hire people from the left to reinforce the feedback loop of the left, and they're mad as hell at you for not believing it. And that's why they drip with contempt for Fox News, because Fox News dares to tell people there is an alternative, there is a different worldview, and they're kicking everybody else's butt as a result of it. You would think that the media would look at Fox News, and instead of seeing something that needs to be destroyed, that it needs to be something to be modeled after. But they can't do that, because to do that, they would have to accept that their worldview is wrong and they can never do that.
you should text recipe to three three seven seven seven. I will be sending out the pound cake recipe. Uh, those of you watching online, there is an internet issue we are having today. The stream sucks. I apologize. Um, you may not even be able to hear me saying that because the stream is so bad online today. The president has decided to start his campaign early, earlier than other presidents have started, earlier than Obama, Bush, or Clinton started on the campaign trail. Uh, the president has decided he's going to start doing campaign rallies around the country. Here's the thing you need to understand that people don't seem to appreciate about President Trump on the campaign trail. He thrives on the campaign trail. The president believes connecting with the American people on the campaign trail is uh, good for him. His staff have come to believe it's good for his mental health to be out there connected to the crowd, uh, feeding off the energy of the crowd. He he is an extrovert. He does not like to be cooped up in the White House, and so he's headed off on the campaign trail. Uh, we will be hearing lots about that, and I guarantee you the media spin is going to be, oh, he's desperate. He's desperate. No, actually, he's getting out there while the Democrats are still squabbling over who their nominee is going to be, and he's going to define them uh, using money that they can't match. Uh, he's got uh, hundreds of millions of dollars more than any of them have on hand, and he's going to use it all to the best of his ability to define the Democrats as best he can. Now, poor old Andrew Yang. Can, can we just have a moment for Andrew Yang? Andrew Yang is the Democratic candidate, the Asian guy, and apparently— uh, for all of the Democrats who blast Republicans and say Republicans just think all black people look alike, uh, Democrats apparently think all Asian people look alike. MSNBC, CNBC, and NBC, all three of them, all, all, all part of the Peacock network, maybe Peacocks think all Asians look alike. Uh, they have, uh, all three of them have shown graphics in the last couple of months, the latest coming yesterday, uh, with pictures of Andrew Yang, and none of them are actually pictures of Andrew Yang. They are pictures of other Asian people. Um, uh, CNBC actually put up a picture of, um, no, it was, it was, it was in MSNBC put up a picture of a guy whose last name, I think his name is Gary Yang. He's actually a Republican donor, uh, venture capitalist in San Francisco. And yeah, he's just another rich Asian dude uh, with the last name Yang. Uh, the, the <laughs> although the same graphic had a picture of, uh, Kristen Gillibrand for Tulsi Gabbard. But they've done this to Yang now. Andrew Yang raised $16 million and is probably going to be excluded from the next debate. In fact, it looks increasingly likely that the next Democratic debate is going to be all white people again. This is this is the, the striking thing, honestly, about the Democratic situation. This goes back to the entire narrative of this hour on the media and a secular elite controlling what you should believe. It, the media routinely assails the Republican Party for lacking diversity. The media routinely runs stories about how the GOP is the party of old white dudes. Meanwhile, in 2016, 16, Republicans had uh, minorities on stage at every single debate, and they weren't just token minorities. They were legitimate candidates running for office. Marco Rubio was there. Ted Cruz was there. Ben Carson was there and others. You have in the Republican Party right now Nikki Haley, Bobby Jindal, Tim Scott, and, and others. Meanwhile, on the Democratic side, it is a mostly all-white party. 
Diversity on the Democratic Party these days increasingly is are you gay or are you straight? Uh, and as long as you're white, you're okay. Uh, the Republican Party actually takes diversity of ethnicity, uh, race, gender, sexual orientation, you name it, uh, into consideration. The Democratic Party is actually way more monolithic and way more monolithically white than the Republican Party is, at least at the, the, the leadership level. It is true that Hispanic and black voters tend to overwhelmingly be Democrat. You would never know that by looking at the people in charge of the Democratic Party. It's very much like, uh, you know, they always target Republicans and say Republicans are are increasingly out to lunch on these issues and increasingly unrepresentative of the people. But you look at the, the ethnic and racial diversity of the Republican Party, it looks way more like the, the country than uh, the Democrats do. In fact, um, you had some of the first statewide elected Hispanic uh, leaders in this country were Republican. You would never know that from the media. The media constantly attacks the Republicans on diversity issues while ignoring the lack of diversity on the Democratic side. Uh, you have a, a, an entire media that has just been pushing the whole uh, women first agenda. You know, men and women are all equal, but some we got to give unequal coverage to the women. And yet it looks like the, the black voters of the Democratic Party and the women of the Democratic Party are going to go with the old white dude Joe Biden to be the nominee. And of course, the media looks at all that and thinks it's hunky-dory. If it was on the Republican side, they would be bashing it nonstop. The hypocrisy in the the diversity arguments in the press is astounding, and they can never see it. I'll remember one time on CNN, I pointed out when I was at CNN, uh, that the Republican Party had more statewide elected Hispanic people uh, and minorities than the Democratic Party. You had Nikki Haley, you had Bobby Jindal, you had Susana Martinez, um, you were getting Ted Cruz and Marco Rubio, and it was like heads exploded. And it was a true statement. I was factually right. And none of them could concede the fact that I was factually right because they were so invested in the narrative that the Democrats are more diverse. I don't even need to read a script for this. Uh, Quip is my sponsor this week for the podcast, and I don't need to read a, a script because I'm a user and I've been a longtime user of Quip. I love Quip. If you don't know what Quip is, it is an uh, electric toothbrush. It only takes just a AAA battery, and they send you the AAA battery, so you don't even have to get a AAA battery. Every three months on a subscription, you can get a new brush head to keep your brush head up to date. It pulses every 30 seconds, so you get an even clean for two minutes in your mouth. It turns itself off. It's just so well designed, and it's very reasonably priced compared to a lot of toothbrushes out there on the market that compete with it. You can go to getquip.com slash Eric right now. You'll even get your first brush head refill pack for free. So you get your first brush head refill pack for free at getquip.com slash Eric. That's G-E-T-Q-U-I-P dot com slash Eric. Get in the healthy habit of brushing your teeth the way your dentist wants. Make it easy by getting a Quip. Quip electric toothbrushes. My wife uses it. I use it. My kids use it. It really is that good. You will like it in your family, and you will make sure you get a great clean. Join 3 million healthy mouths by getting Quip today for just $25 at getquip.com slash Eric. I tell you people that I'm a professional, and occasionally I do things where I'm thinking, oop, that's such an amateur thing, like putting part of a protein bar in my mouth before we come back from commercial break. I'm sitting here swallowing, hoping not to choke and die in front of the live stream, among other things. Welcome. It is Eric Erickson here. I'm sure you wanted to know that. I'm so professional. The phone number, if you would like to be a part of the program, 877-97-ERIC, E-R-I-C-K. 
That actually translates into the phone number, 877-973-7425. You can watch on social media. I think maybe we figured out the internet live streaming issue. Um, Maybe we'll have a more stable feed this hour. We will see. We need to talk about the Australian wildfires, please. I realize there's plenty of domestic stuff we can talk about here. There's plenty of Georgia stuff, but I keep putting these things off, and I mentioned it very briefly yesterday. want to start here this hour with the, the climate change stuff in Australia and the Australian wildfires. We have heard the stories and seen the footage of the wildfires in Australia now for several weeks, and they are awful. But the American media and the global media is doing itself no favors when it comes to this coverage and I think are are actually working against their interests. The the entire, I'm going to use French here now, raison d'etre, the, the entire reason for being for, for so much of this coverage is to convince you that climate change is real and we've got to do something about it. And they have highlighted all of the fires in Australia and the billions of animals killed. By the way, uh, a good friend of mine who is a uh, both a scientist and a statistician says you should not believe the numbers they're talking about uh, of the mass casualty deaths of the animals. They really have no idea. And most of those numbers are more likely than not exaggerated for sympathy to impact the climate change agenda. Uh, For those of you who don't know, I'm actually, while I am skeptical that scientists are accurately stating the role that humans play in shaping and changing the climate, and I do think the climate changes historically over time, I also do think that there are 7 billion of us on the planet. We clearly play a role. But I think there's a political agenda involved in, in most of the climate change discussions we have that, that uh, causes people like me to be extremely skeptical of most of what we hear, and we have every reason to. And the, the Australian wildfire situation is the latest reason that we should be skeptical. We have heard now for weeks on end, weeks, that the fires were caused by climate change. Apparently, there are over 200 people in Australia named climate change. That must be their legal names because over 200 people in Australia have now been arrested for arson related to starting the wildfires. Now, how can it be that the wildfires were caused by climate change and they've arrested over 200 people for causing the wildfires. How how can that be? If I were a reasonable person who was willing to buy into the notion of climate change as the media portrays it, what I would tell you is that Australia is facing, this is Australia's dry period. Historically, it's his dry period. And it is drier than normal and has been for some time. And part of that has to do with local devastation of uh, deforestation and urban growth, creating heat islands that have impacted the local climate, that have caused things to dry out further. So when arsonists strike, there is less water and less rain and less moisture to be able to stop the fires. That would be the argument I would make. 
that would be a credible argument. That would be an article that, and that would be an argument that someone like me could believe that someone like you could believe. Listen, you know, it's true. Even if you don't believe in climate change, you understand that when you have more asphalt, it acts as a heat island, a heat sink, and retains heat in areas. Now, the feedback loop tends to be that you then have afternoon thunderstorms. We see this in, in Atlanta. We see this in Macon, where I am. See it in Macon all the time. Yeah, I'll, I'll be on Bass Road, where I am, those of you familiar with Middle Georgia. I'll be on the road. I've seen it in Athens. I've been up in Athens, and, and I've seen this, where you'll see a big thunderhead over part of the city. You'll be able to see the rain coming down. It's that one thunderhead. It is a heat island effect where the, the heat island uh, causes a feedback loop with the climate and the atmosphere where then a rainstorm pops up over that heat island and cools it down. It is a part of a natural cycle. We see this in Atlanta where so many surface temperatures are higher in cities. And in fact, weather monitoring stations that show increases in temperature, many of those were in rural areas, are now in urban areas. And of course, the asphalt around where those um, thermometers are, are impacted by that. We see that in the world. And in Australia, they have a situation where they this feedback loop of the afternoon thunderstorms to be able to cool down the areas that have gotten hot because they've been in a drought. There isn't enough moisture to get that feedback loop generating. So when someone does cause arson and does create wildfires, there are no there's no rain to then come and put out the fires and they spread. There are ways to explain this story that can get buy-in from people who are otherwise skeptical of the media headlines. And instead of the media going in that direction, the media has tried to convince you that climate change itself struck the match. Climate change itself caused the fires in Australia. We now know that is not true. Even the Australian media that is totally in on the climate change agenda has had to scale it back down walk it back and point out that the overwhelming number of these fires have been sparked by arson. In fact, the initial fires were sparked by arson. Other fires then spread from the sparks and embers that floated on the breeze and caused new fires. But the genesis of it was not climate change unless the person who struck the match was named climate change. ABC News has an image of Australia superimposed on the United States. And it shows roughly two-thirds of Australia consumed in fire right now. When you actually click on the story and read it, it says that the, the fires burning in Australia are twice the size of Maryland. Last I checked, looking at a map of the United States, Maryland is not two-thirds of the United States. Now, what the graph actually intended to show is that the areas of Australia that have been impacted by wildfires this year. But that's not what they suggested the graphic showed. They suggested from the graphic that all of Australia, two-thirds of Australia was in, in fire right now. And that cover would have covered two-thirds of the United States roughly. And then when you click in, it says basically only twice the size of the state of Maryland. The media is willfully being dishonest. The media routinely mocks conservatives for not believing in climate change. And then the media runs stories like this that give everyone reason to doubt what the media is saying. And the media blames you and not itself for doing that. Very much like the Iran situation. 
the media is highlighting uh, Iranian talking points because the narrative is that orange man bad. And because orange man bad, the media has to focus on Iran and the talking points from Iran and not the president. Now, it's not just them. You've got uh, one of the, the, I think it was, oh, what was it? Oh, was it Colbert? I can't remember. Yeah, Jane Fonda come out. She, she climbed off her communist tank to, to go into the studio. You know, I've spent a lot of time now with these young students, and they're scared. Mm-hmm. And, and, they're, and a lot of young people are even suffering from, they're calling it extinction illness. And I just felt I wasn't doing enough. And the scientists were saying we have 10 years, and before it's going to go so far over the cliff that there's no turning back. We'll just... The, the environment and climate will unravel and there's nothing we can do. And so I said, okay, I'm going to, uh, I'm famous. I have a platform. I'm going to move to D.C. I'm going to put my body on the line and I'm going to do these things. And in the process, I'm going to learn a lot too. And the young people have been with me all the way. And it's incredible what's happened. She feels young again. Extinction illness, folks. This is the new thing, extinction illness they really believe we have 10 years left. Now, never mind that they've been telling us we had 10 years left for the last 30 years. That, again, is part of the problem. You have a bunch of scared young people who really believe the world is going to come to an end. Do you know what's going to happen in 10 years? A lot of the kids who are freaked out right now and think we have 10 years left are going to wake up and realize, wait a second, I've been lied to. But a great many of them, if we're really honest about it, a great many of them are going to say, oh, oh, we must have 10 more years and it's all over. Because by then they will be so lived in the dogma of climate change, they won't be able to change their mind. They'll just change the date of our extinction. And they've been telling us this for 30 years. Again, this is another reason why so many people don't believe it. The media gets the climate change stories wrong, the wildfire stories wrong, the dates of our extinction wrong. This is a religion it has all the hallmarks of religion. Listen, I, I, it play, I, I'm going to play the Jane Fonda clip again. And I want you to listen to the emotion in her voice. This is the emotion of religious fervor in her voice. You know, I've spent a lot of time now with these young students, and they're scared. Mm-hmm. And, and, they're, and a lot of young people are even suffering from, they're calling it extinction illness. And Extinction illness. They're, they're suffering from it. It's emotional distress caused by a bunch of adults lying to them. That's what extinction illness is. But now listen to her as she gets worked up about moving to D.C., and hanging out with these kids, listen to it. I just felt I wasn't doing enough. And the scientists were saying we have 10 years. And before it's going to go so far over the cliff that there's no turning back. We'll just, the, the environment and climate will unravel and there's nothing we can do. And so I said, okay, I'm going to, uh, I'm Here famous. I have a platform. I'm going to move to D.C. I'm going to put my body on the line and I'm going to do these things and in the process I'm going to learn a lot too and the young people have been with me all the way and it's incredible what's happened it's incredible what's happened this is a religious fervor it is a secular religion that worships creation instead of worshiping the creator it has rotted their minds it is Moloch we've got a Abort kids, 
and curtail large families. They're bad. You know, the, the God of the Bible says, be fruitful and multiply. Moloch says, hey, come kill your kids and I'll make it rain. And that's essentially what the left is doing. They are protesting around the world, claiming that the world is coming to an end. The world is not going to come to an end in 10 years. The planet will still be here. We will still be here. The environment will still be here. Might it be warmer? It may very well be warmer. But the same people who believe in evolution and the adaptability of the human species suddenly believe we can't adapt to this. You've got an entire country, the Netherlands, that has learned to cope with and live being below sea level. The sea levels rise. Why can't the rest of us learn to live below sea level? Why can't the rest of us adapt? Why can't we move? They, they don't want to explore those things. They really believe we're all going to die in 10 years. Do you know, there's a level of, of apocalyptic rhetoric uh, in some Christian circles these days, but do you know, Jesus Christ can't come back tomorrow. Scripture says that we do not know the day that Jesus will return, but we can be certain he's not going to come back tomorrow. You're all going to tune in here again tomorrow because you're not going to heaven tomorrow unless you keel over dead today and you're a believer. The reason I can say that with certainty is that there are a series of prophecies in the Bible that have to be fulfilled before the second coming can come. And there are Christians around the world working tirelessly to fulfill those prophecies, one of which is uh, the spreading of the gospel to all corners of the planet. And there are still people in the world who have never had the chance to experience the gospel. You go to the Museum of the Bible in Washington, D.C., and they show you all of the languages still existing that have not yet had a translation of the Bible that they're working to raise money to translate the Bible in. And that number is, is decreasing every year. A friend of mine says, you know, in the next 35 years, it is possible that the Bible will be translated into every single language and the gospel spread to every corner of the earth. And then we can start saying any day now he's coming back. But until that prophecy is fulfilled, that the gospel is spread to all corners of the world, to all languages and tribes, Jesus can't come back. He's not coming back tomorrow. We don't know when. We know there will be a last day, and those on his side will be on the winning team. But the way the left speaks, they speak with apocalyptic certainty. I can't speak with apocalyptic certainty. The Bible says there are some things we do not know. There are secrets God keeps we can't know. One of those is when the last day will come. But the media and the celebrity culture out there tells us that the last day is coming in 10 years. The gig is up in 10 years. We're all going to die. And the people who believe that are deeply malcontented souls. And I got to ask the question, if you really believe the world is going to come to an end in 10 years, and now you believe Donald Trump has started a war with Iran that is going to prevent us from focusing on climate change tasks necessary to prevent the apocalypse 10 years from now, what are you going to do about it? You're going to show up in Washington, D.C. and get yourself arrested? What are you really going to do? We're breeding a generation of children who are being told the world is coming to an end in 10 years. At what point does this turn violent? Greta Thunberg has already had to apologize for talking about putting politicians with their backs against the wall. The rhetoric's only going to heat up from here because it is apocalyptic religious fervor from a sect of people that don't even believe in God. They just worship creation. The phone number, if you would like to be a part of the program today, we actually do take your phone calls here. Our phone lines are open, 877-97-ERIC, 877-973-7425. A uh, friend of mine, oh, oh, I hate it when the Wall Street Journal forgets my login. 
there are a few news organizations that I do manage to keep subscriptions to, and the Wall Street Journal is one of them because it's a good newspaper, even though it has some biases. But I am, oh, come on. Um, a buddy of mine sent me this link to the story, and it's relevant to something I wanted to talk about. Uh, yes, here we go. More state houses are wading into the contentious debate over the participation of transgender athletes in men's and women's sports. In recent weeks, Republican legislators in at least five states have drafted measures aimed at preventing athletes from competing in categories different than their biological sex. Lawmakers say they are specifically concerned about female athletes facing unfair competition. The bills introduced or pre-filed in New Hampshire, Washington, Georgia... Tennessee and Missouri reflect growing attention around the issue of whether transgender rights protections are leading to unfair competition in women's sports. Policies regulating the eligibility of transgender high school athletes are usually set by school associations and vary. In about a third of states, transgender athletes can freely compete on teams of the gender they identify with, according to transathlete.com, which tracks these policies. Like the National Collegiate Athletic Association, that would be the NCAA, some high school associations allow transgender females to participate in girls' teams if they meet certain conditions, such as completing a period of testosterone suppression treatment or gender reassignment surgery. Several other states lack formal guidelines. Now, you know, one of the interesting things I have noticed about these conversations, we don't really ever hear about trans men competing against men. Now, why is that? I'm sure they're there. But they don't really get the attention, do they? It's most often it is men who've decided they're women who are competing against other women or uh, boys who are competing against girls. And there is still more often than not a musculature, a skeletal and hormonal advantage to the boy who's decided he's a girl, to the man who's decided he's a woman. We are so wrapped up these days in the United States and in a lot of Western societies on the whole idea of, of men and women are equal. By the way, I am told by friends of mine in Europe that this is actually a fairly distinctly American thing these days, uh, that um, even places like Sweden and France and Germany uh, have decided it's a bunch of hooey. And in this country, we are uniquely obsessed with, we've got nothing better to care about now. The world's coming to an end in 10 years, and we're squabbling over whether or not boys should be able to compete with girls. And you've got half of, more than half of society, cultural society, I guess, the voices in society insist that the boys should be able to compete against the girls as long as they put on a wig or grow out their hair or do something to pretend that they're actually a girl. How is it fair? Philip Singleton here in Georgia, uh, newest member of the state legislature, he, uh, it replaces um, David Stover in the Peachtree City Noonan area. Got elected in a special election. The establishment was out to get him. They didn't get him. He won. He has prepared legislation, pre-filed it, that would prohibit boys from competing in high school sports against girls uh, if the boy identifies as a girl. Time and time again, we are seeing that these boys who decide they want to play on the girls' team are beating the girls because they do have unfair physical advantages. Men and women are not equal. Maybe before the law they are, and they should be, but physically, biologically, they're not, and pretending otherwise is kookiness. A friend of mine listening to the program sent me pictures seen at Target. Oh, Lord. Um, It is... 
gosh, who even makes this stuff? It, apparently at Target, uh, right next to the, um, the, the superhero stuff, there is some kit called Creatable World. Create your own characters again and again. It says all are welcome, and it is a unisex model. And this unisex model, it then comes with a series of wigs. So you can give it long hair or short hair. Uh, you can give it a boy haircut, a girl haircut. It's got boys clothes, girls clothes, it, it, generic clothes. They all kind of look like a girl, quite honestly. Um, prepubescent girl. And it it's, it is, it's, I'm... I wouldn't exactly think that these things are, are flying off the shelves. Uh, let's see. It, it's twenty nine ninety. I got to figure out now who we're going on the internet, folks. Brace yourselves. We're going to figure this out here. We're, we're going down the rabbit hole. Cre- creatable worlds, creatable world doll. Who, who makes the creatable world doll from me? Oh, it's Mattel. That's who makes it. Let's see how this is branded. The customizable doll. Oh, I've heard about these things. It's like the the Barbie doll for, ooh, these are some, wow. In our world, dolls are as limitless as the kids who play with them. Introducing Creatable World, a doll line designed to keep labels out and invite everyone in, giving kids the freedom to create their own customizable characters again and again. A hundred plus looks all in one kit. It's a blank canvas to create their own character. Switch from long hair to short hair. Add a skirt, pants, or both. Create your characters. Oh, good gracious. So this is, wow. I, I, I cannot imagine. Now, here's the thing. Okay. Oh, 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 oh. It's been in, it's been in the news. Uh, the Huffington Post, Hello Giggles, the Chicago Tribune, CNN, uh, NBC, Forbes, Time, Adweek, they've all been selling them, and I'm sure it will be much, much, and pretty almost all of them look like a girl to begin with. Um, wow. Here's the thing. Stuff like this is going to get super praised by the media. But how many people are actually going to buy this stuff? It's it's funny to me. You know, I, here's the other thing. Most of the people who believe in this nonsense, the the, the we pick our gender. You, you don't have to be a boy, even though you have boy parts. You can actually be a girl if you want to be a girl. You know, the people who overwhelmingly believe this are the childless people out there. The people who they, they don't actually have kids. Here, here's the thing I have found. We did not. I've got two kids. I've got my oldest is a girl. My youngest is a boy. We didn't set out to have them in in roles that were gender defined, as the left would say. But they gravitated to those things. They they gravitated to them. Uh, and from an early age, in fact, time and time again, these op-eds come out, rarely in major publications because they're, they're offensive to major publications and the thought at major publications. But it, time and time again, you see these things. I saw one in the Wall Street Journal, I guess, last year, a woman writing about how she and her husband went out of their way to raise genderless children. They wanted their children to pick for themselves. They didn't wear, the, their their daughters never wore pink. 
Their sons never wore blue. The sons got dolls. The girls got trucks. They played with gender uh, neutral toys. And guess what? The boys would use the dolls as shovels. The girls would use the dump trucks as baby dolls. And over time, they gravitated towards their own. And the woman, it was like the, the scales had fallen off her eyes, it, like, like Saul on the road to Damascus. Only she's not going to get a junior neutral, neutral name and she's not going to be called Paul afterwards. I mean, the, the mom is looking and she's like, hey, turns out girls are girls and boys are boys. You know, my wife had a Barbie doll when she was little and she used it as a shovel. She did. She used it till the legs fell off. She wanted to play outside in the mud with the boys. And that's perfectly fine. What's so crazy now is in there are the, the series of stories that are out now, you know, some kids, uh, some girls are tomboys. Some boys are, are mama's boys. They want to stay in the house with mom and they want to do things that mom does and they relate to mom and that's perfectly fine. And what's so crazy now is is that the left has moved on in, in the alphabet gang of culture from gay and, and straight to transgender and non-binary and straight. And so things that when kids were little that they would do that you would say are just just kids, we moved into, oh, well, well, this little boy likes to play with baby dolls maybe he's gay too now it's maybe he thinks he's a girl and we should encourage him to be a girl the whole world has lost its damn mind maybe it's just a kid being a child i have found as a parent one of the most difficult things in life is not to put my own biases on my kids I actually do, contrary to the stereotype you hear of conservatives, I actually do want my children to think for themselves. I certainly want them to have my values. I mean, I believe that my values and my faith are the way to eternal life with your God. I should want my kids to have an eternal salvation and relationship with their God. Uh, if you don't reject, if you reject the living God, okay, that's on you. But I actually do want my kids to share my values because I do believe it provides a path to eternal salvation for them. But as far as forming their political views and their worldview on things, I try to let them make up their own mind. We don't actually even talk politics in our house. Believe it or not, that's what I do for a living. The last thing I want to do at night is argue politics with my family. One of the, the greatest pet peeves in my life these days is having family members call, and I love my family. Please don't be offended, family. You know I feel this way. I've told you. But having my family want to call and talk politics. I talk on the radio literally five hours, five days a week, nine to noon and four to six every day of the week, except the weekend. I talk politics and news. You'll want to talk politics and news. My phone number is 877-973-7425. You can call in here and talk to me about these issues. Unless you're my family. Don't call me on the show. Ah, not mom. Sorry. Love you. But man, ah. nonetheless, we don't do it at home. Our, our kids should be able to, if we've raised them well and we've taught them our values, they should be able to form a worldview based on those values. Now, you can say that's indoctrination, but every single last one of you listening does it yourself, whether you're liberal or conservative. The big issue is I want them to be able to make up their own mind on individuals and public policy shaped by their worldview. 
what we see is that kids are not automatons and they're not empty vessels into which we pour everything in. There is an environment that shapes them. There is nurturing that shapes them. There are genetics that shape them. But inevitably, girls tend to be girls and boys tend to be boys. And now we live in this muddy water of moral relativism where if your little boy decides he wants to be in the kitchen cooking with mom or your little girl wants to be outside playing in the mud, suddenly she must really want to be a boy or he must really want to be a girl. It used to be he must be gay. She must be lesbian. No, they're kids. And you applying your prejudices is deeply, deeply harmful to these kids. I, I'm shocked by the number of people who think that that kids at a very young age can be treated for gender dysphoria or, or a psychologist or doctor can say, oh, your child has gender dysphoria at two years old. And this is the world we live in. The inmates are running the asylum. And, you know, so th this is one of my, my I, I honestly, if you looked at the stuff I was going to talk about right now, I had John Bolton on the, we'll get to John Bolton. Be with me. I'm sorry. People text me during the show and it sends me off on wild tangents. That's why you should listen. You never, ever know what I'm going to do. My entire team sets out looking at this outline and said, oh, at this point in the show, he should be talking about this topic. Uh, not today. <laughs> Seriously, though. The way the world works right now, we have the inmates running the asylum and people are obsessed with their own social agendas and they are trickling in through school and indoctrination of kids. And one of my big critiques of the church in the United States right now is that we so reflect the world around us as opposed to reflecting a hotbed of sanity. My buddy Rod Dreher has written a book, The Benedict Option, and I don't fully subscribe to his idea, but I, there is an aspect of it that I think is necessary. And it's one, frankly, I've been really bad with because I travel so much uh, and I hate people, so I, I hate to associate with large crowds of people. <laughs> but there is something about surrounding your children with people who share your worldview, particularly a worldview of faith, because increasingly... Every single person on planet Earth has something dwelling within them that says this isn't all there is. Every single person on this planet, there is a voice, and you have to work hard to suppress the voice. You have to work hard. I've got a buddy of mine uh, from a family of theologians, and he's got a very close relative in his family who's an atheist. Something has happened to embitter that person to make him an atheist. Something has closed his mind to God. Because every single person, particularly if you're a child, you hear the voice as a child distinctly that this is not all there is. There is something more than this. It is not that we, we live, we die, and the worms eat us, and the circle of life continues. There's something more that I have a purpose, I'm here for a reason. And people have to work really hard to shut that voice down. And there are competing views of what that voice is. There are competing views. And, you know, uh, in liberal theology these days, we talked yesterday about the crack-up of the United Methodist Church, where essentially, as the Babylon Bee put it, they're, they're having a crack-up over whether or not to be Christians or not. They, we have this crack-up in society now with, with uh, theological liberalism of this therapeutic, just be good, live your life, do good things to others, make heaven on earth, never mind that we're all sinners and it's impossible. 
or the, the an Orthodox Christianity that says there is a God, he wants a relationship with you. If you put your trust in him, you'll have everlasting life. And your purpose on this planet is to glorify God in all that you do. Uh, your work, there is a doctrine of vocation within Christianity that when you work, the purpose of your work is whatever you do, whether you're the street sweeper, whether you're the janitor, whether you're the plumber, whether you're the painter, whether you're the lawyer, whether you're the doctor, whether you're whatever you are, your goal in life is to glorify God and enjoy him forever. It is to reflect God in what you do. And that is your purpose. And increasingly in a muddled society where people tell you that little voice in your head is a sign of insanity, the little voice in your head that whispers to you and says you're not alone, that little voice in your head that whispers and says you have a higher purpose, uh, that little voice in your head that says, no, it's not that we just die. We're just here accidentally. It's, it's a, a, a evolution. We came from monkeys. That's not true. That little voice, the world tells you, if you listen to that little voice, you're crazy. Now, there are lots of voices in your head that may be crazy, but that's not the one that's crazy. That's the one that's telling you the truth. And increasingly, there are people who live their life and realize there is something more. And one of the problems with the American church these days is we're not really reflecting that something more. Now, I realize there are people listening here who aren't in church, and I apologize to exclude, excluding some of you from the monologue, but I think you get my point. Data more and more shows that uh, increasingly people can't tell Christians apart from anyone else. You have the little ichthus fish on the back of your car, and you're giving people the middle finger driving down the highway because you're in road rage. It's really Christian of you. Do you reflect the world around you or do you reflect your worldview, essentially? And this goes directly back to my prior point about the, the religion of secular atheism today that is so fixated on the environment. These people really believe the world is coming to an end in 10 years, and how are they expending their energy? They are expending their energy demanding that we all treat boys as girls or else shut up or put our businesses out of business. If you really believe the world is coming to an end in 10 years, why aren't you marching in the streets every day on that issue? Why instead are you fighting on all these other little cultural issues? If you really believe the world is coming to an end in 10 years, why are you in defense of Planned Parenthood right now? Why aren't you out there marching in the streets on the environment and, and banning plastic bags? Now, I guess they could say, well, because we need to eliminate the species to save the planet. I, I, I guess. But why don't you reflect your core beliefs? Why don't you reflect your core beliefs? Now, here's the thing. I really believe I'm right on this. I really do. I really do believe there's a heaven and there's a hell. I really do believe there's a God. I really do believe there's a guy named Jesus who, who died, rose again from the dead, ascended into heaven, will come back to judge the quick and the dead, the living and the dead. I really do believe that. And so I should reflect my life right like that. And if I really do believe that, and I really do think I'm right, and I live my life that way, and everyone else does too who believes that, then when people start listening to the crazy little voice in their head that says there's more to this than the worms eating your body in the grave, you're not an accident, you have a purpose and a plan, who are those people going to gravitate to? Are they going to gravitate to the people who have the answer to their questions that answer the voice in the head and say, yes, you do have a purpose, here it is. Or are they going to gravitate to the people who say, no, no, pay no attention to that voice? Are they going to gravitate to the people who open their eyes and say, this is the way, the Mandalorians? <laughs> or are, are they going to go with the people who tell you that there's no purpose in life? Everybody deep down knows there's purpose. Every child who's born develops a sense of who they are without their parents needing to indoctrinate them. 
these customizable, creatable world dolls of, hey, you can, you can, this doll can be a boy or a girl. I guarantee you that one, they're not flying off the shelves, and two, when they are, they're from progressive parents trying to indoctrinate their kids who don't know what to do with them. And three, it's going to be the girls who gravitate to them, not the boys. I guarantee you that's the case. And I can guarantee you that because I know something about human nature. I know something about the way God created us male and female. We didn't get to choose that. It is the insanity of the world that says otherwise. And it's the insanity of the world when people hear the little voice in their head and go looking for answers. They're not going to turn to the insanity that says we're all an accidental freak of nature derived from monkeys and this is all going to come to an end and the worms are going to eat our body. They're going to go to the people who say there is a God, he loves us and wants a relationship with us. And at that point, you better be ready. And unfortunately, a lot of people aren't. So Judge Judy is backing Mike Bloomberg for president of the United States. She actually befuddled Chris Cuomo on CNN. I didn't get the audio of it because the audio wasn't as 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 great as it sounds, but it actually was somewhat funny. Um, she did ask Chris Cuomo if he saw greatness in Joe Biden. Uh, it, it's It's funny the Democrats have this problem. With the Democratic campaign trail, they're they're just not happy with the field. They're not excited. The media is super excited about Elizabeth Warren, but it's not helping her. Meanwhile, Joe Biden goes out and he says things that have a a a kernel of truth in them that get Democrats upset. I mean, for example, Joe Biden had an exchange on the campaign trail the other day with a guy who explained that that someone in his family had cancer and uh, they had to be put on Obamacare and it screwed up their family. They had to start a GoFundMe account to raise money because they couldn't afford the cancer treatment on Obamacare. And here's Joe Biden. During the run-up to the passage of Obamacare, President Obama promised yeah, my father to this guy. This is that if he likes his plan, he can keep his plan and that his insurance will be cheaper. After passage, his plan was no longer allowed and his insurance costs doubled. Since you supported the plan, were you lying to my dad or did you not understand the bill you supported? A lion dog face pony shoulder. No, look, there's two ways people know when something is important. One, when it's so clear when it's passed that everybody understands it, and no one did understand Obamacare, including the way it was rolled out, and the gentleman's right. He said you could keep your doctor if you wanted to, and you couldn't keep your doctor if you wanted to necessarily. He's dead right about that. Wait a second. Joe Biden is, is saying that the government, the Obama government was ignorant of Obamacare, the plan they drafted, they didn't understand it. That's that's Joe Biden. That that's got the well, that's got everybody in Washington who's an Obama fan befuddled. Uh, and meanwhile, you've also got Elizabeth Warren out there who is saying stuff like this. But the middle class in New Hampshire is doing fairly well, according to the statistics. Are no, you, are no. those are those voters encouraged by you to find another candidate, the ones that don't have student loan debt? You know. I just don't see it that way, John, and that's sure not what I hear from people when I'm there. The, you know, the Democrats, you got to go back to when Dick Cheney and George Bush were headed into the White House. The, the campaign was over. They were headed to Washington. They had won, and Dick Cheney began telling people we're headed into a recession, and the data was there to show we were headed into a recession, and the Democrats attacked and said that they were talking down the economy. That is essentially what the Democrats are doing now. Elizabeth Warren saying that the data is not really there, that people don't really feel like the economy is doing well. There are like five Americans who don't have jobs right now. Everybody else is working. And income is up 
people's take home pay is up thanks to the tax cuts. And Elizabeth Warren's like, I don't, I just, I, nobody I know. Who, who the hell is Elizabeth Warren hanging out with that she doesn't know anybody who's actually benefiting from this economy? It's striking how clueless these people have to be to try to win. I don't even need to read a script for this. Uh, Quip is my sponsor this week for the podcast, and I don't need to read a, a script because I'm a user and I've been a longtime user of Quip. I love Quip. If you don't know what Quip is, it is an uh, electric toothbrush. It only takes just a AAA battery, and they send you the AAA battery, so you don't even have to get a AAA battery. Every three months on a subscription, you can get a new brush head to keep your brush head up to date. It pulses every 30 seconds, so you get an even clean for two minutes in your mouth. It turns itself off. It's just so well designed, and it's very reasonably priced compared to a lot of toothbrushes out there on the market that compete with it. You can go to getquip.com slash Eric right now. You'll even get your first brush head refill pack for free. So you get your first brush head refill pack for free at getquip.com slash Eric. That's G-E-T-Q-U-I-P.com slash Eric. Get in the healthy habit of brushing your teeth the way your dentist wants. Make it easy by getting a Quip. Quip electric toothbrushes. My wife uses it. I use it. My kids use it. It really is that good. You will like it in your family, and you will make sure you get a great clean. Join 3 million healthy mouths by getting Quip today for just $25 at getquip.com slash Eric. Welcome. It is Eric Erickson here, the Eric Erickson Show, across the state of Georgia, across the nation on the internet. The phone number, if you would like to call in and be a part of the program, 877-97-ERIC, 877-973-7425. This is somewhat surreal, I guess. It's kind of funny to me being a, a Georgia Focus show uh, only on stations in Georgia, but I have a uh, email from a listener in Albuquerque, New Mexico, who is listening to the live stream of our affiliate uh, WCHM in Clarksville, Georgia. That's right. The person lives in Albuquerque, New Mexico, but is listening on WCHM in Clarksville uh, via the internet. So, uh, those of you in Clarksville, you're, you're getting some advertising dollars out to Albuquerque, New Mexico, but, uh, loved the last segment of the show, the, the last big segment of the show and, and said, this is exactly what you're talking about. You should play this audio. And I listened to it during the break. I was like, yes, I should. Now let me reset the table. If you just come in, this is where I talk about John Bolton and impeachment. We will get there momentarily. In the last half hour of the show, we're talking about the, the this meltdown in society right now on uh, the just the, the 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 craziness of the worldviews that tell you it's all an accident, you're alone in the universe, and the worms are going to eat your body, and everyone has a voice in them that tells them so much of what we hear in society right now that the transgenderism nonsense to to the 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 fatalism in the world that that it's all a bunch of hooey. There there there's there, there is a voice in your head that says there's a purpose greater than this that there is you you're you're there for something and i believe as a christian uh that it is it is the christian faith that has those answers and that unfortunately a lot of people uh in the church are not prepared to live their lives in that way uh that they reflect the world around them in the way they live their lives and the way they conduct their church services and so when people come looking for the answers and say maybe Christianity has it they stumble into a church or among a community of believers that really doesn't operate any differently from the rest of the world and and they become disaffected in some way and that if if you believe in and this this is set this apart from from a faith issue, this is this is not the Bible hour here. 
But if you really believe that that you have the answers to life as best they are able to be derived, then you should live your life in such a way that when those who finally hear and pay attention to the voice in their head come calling for the answers, they are in some way inspired by you. If you're a Christian, the Westminster Confession of Faith, the Shorter Catechism, uh, what is the chief end of man? To glorify God and enjoy him forever. Christians believe in a doctrine of vocation, that in your work you're expected to reflect your faith, that it is a ministry, your work is a ministry, you're to make disciples and believers out of all the nations, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, Whether you believe in that or not, uh, there should be a focus in your life so that when people come calling for the answers, you can draw them in because everybody has the voice in their head. Everybody does. You have to work really hard in life to turn the voice off. And there are a lot of people who have. There are a lot of angry people who have. They're they're mad at the world. They're mad at God. They they turn off the voice. They don't want to hear it anymore. They don't believe it's true because something has happened in their life and they're mad. And I know people like that. I know uh, virtually every person I know who is a self-described atheist has said something happened in their life such that they have concluded, if there was a God, this would not have happened. And they stop listening to the voice in their head. And they become really embittered to those who still listen to the voice in their head, in many cases. Um, There are way more people, I think, who come out of atheist families who believe in a God who, even if they're agnostic, they're not Christian or or Jewish or Muslim, they're just agnostic, they think maybe there is a higher power. Um, There are a lot of people who come out of there. There there are way more people who become atheists out of Christian households, I think, out of households of faith than otherwise, uh, because they have something happen. They say, well, if God was really real, this wouldn't have happened. My mom wouldn't have died. I wouldn't have gotten sick. My dog wouldn't have gotten hit by a car, whatever some tragedy that causes it. Um, and you got to be ready when those people come in bitter. Now, now I, I say all that because this listener from Albuquerque sent me this. Um, he, he, some of you may know who, who Lois Evans is. Uh, Lois Evans, she was on the National Religious Broadcasters Board. I've met her once. I did not realize she, she had um, cancer of the bile duct. She died. Her husband, Tony Evans, uh, is a very famous minister, Oak Cliff Bible Fellowship in Dallas. Uh, he's got a radio show on a lot of Christian broadcasting. Her son, Jonathan, preached her funeral. And in relation to all of this that I've been talking about, uh, this this listener from Albuquerque sent this to me and, and said, you should play this clip. And this is exactly what I'm talking about, where when people start listening to the voice and they come looking to you for answers, listen to this. And as I was wrestling with God, he answered. And he said, number one, you don't understand the nature of my victory. Because just because I didn't answer your prayer your way doesn't mean that I haven't already answered your prayer anyway. because victory was already given to your mom. You don't understand. Because of the victory that I have given you, there was always only two answers to your prayers. Either she was going to be healed or she was gonna be healed. Either she was gonna live or she was gonna live. Either she was gonna be with family or she was gonna be with family. Either she was gonna be well taken care of or she was gonna be well taken care of. Victory belongs to me. 
That was Jonathan uh, Evans at his mother's funeral. Uh, and again, that's that's exactly what I'm talking about. You, you, people are going to come looking for answers. you got to have them. And so much of the world today does not actually have the answers. They, they want to question everything. Uh, the, 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 a secular worldview wants to question everything but provides answers to nothing. And the reason it provides answers to nothing is because there is no truth. We're in a post-truth society, a, a, a morally relativistic society. And so many people, as a result, are coming calling for answers. So, so get the answers ready. Now, I got some answers for you on John Bolton. Let's get into this. Uh, you know, I, I have said it, one of the other things I have talked about previously on this program is is the left and the right's desires to have silver bullets. It is a phenomenon that I, I guess it it started during the Bush administration. Maybe it was before that. Maybe, maybe it goes back further. But the party out of power always wants a silver bullet. You know, in, in mythology, it, it takes a silver bullet to kill the werewolf. I think you can use silver bullets with, with vampires, too. I know you can use stakes with vampires. As an aside, y'all, this is so cool. Uh, I, I've got it on my Twitter feed. Uh, there's a BBC is doing a series on Dracula in uh, Great Britain. And if you see the billboard during the day, uh, there are wooden stakes in the side of the billboard. It says Dracula, BBC, shows the airtime. And there are wooden stakes all over the left side of the billboard. And at night, as the sun goes down, a spotlight shines on the billboard from the side, and those stakes then cast the shadow of Dracula's face on the billboard. It's actually really cool marketing. I, I was I was impressed. I had to show my kids that. It, it, was, it was impressive. But it, it, people want the silver bullet or, or the stake to kill the vampire. They, they, they've got to have that one thing. If, if only we have that one thing. With, with uh, Republicans and Obamacare, there was not so much an intellectual argument to defeat Obamacare over time. It became the John Roberts is going to throw it out, and he didn't. And then just this one thing, we're going to do this one thing, and it's going to beat Barack Obama. And, and now the left has been doing this with, with uh, Donald Trump. It's become Bob Mueller. Bob Mueller is going to defeat Donald Trump for the left. Impeachment is going to defeat Donald Trump for the left. Well, now the latest silver bullet for the Democrats is John Bolton who says he's going to testify before the Senate. Now, as an aside here, this is fairly well proof that the Democrats screwed up impeachment. John Bolton has decided he will testify if he is subpoenaed. That's the key here. If he is subpoenaed, he will testify. Why don't the House Democrats reopen impeachment? Because if John Bolton says he will honor a congressional subpoena to the Senate, he's got to then honor one to the House. The House and the Senate are part of the same entity. So if a subpoena from one he'll honor, he's got to now honor one from the other. And he knows that. John Bolton is a smart guy. He knows that. And the fact that the Democrats did not subpoena him before filing articles of impeachment is a pretty big red flag. Now, listen to Don Lemon last night on CNN about John Bolton. So with the Senate impeachment trial looming, Nancy Pelosi and Mitch McConnell still locked in a standoff. The president's former national security advisor, John Bolton, threw a monkey wrench into the whole thing with his surprise announcement that he's willing to testify in the impeachment trial if he is subpoenaed. Could have done it without a subpoena, but anyway, he says he's willing, so let's Take him at his word. You may remember that Bolton blasted what he called a drug deal cooked up by Trump advisors to shake down Ukraine. So 
he may have quite a story to tell, but only if he is subpoenaed as a witness, something Mitch McConnell is refusing to do. So the Democrats in the House could do it. They could reopen impeachment and they could subpoena John Bolton. But hear what hear the way Don Lemon said this, that you'll recall he referred to it as a drug deal. John Bolton did. John Bolton's a smart man. John Bolton is a Republican and a conservative, and he despises the Democrats. And the president, in killing Qasim Soleimani, has done one of the things John Bolton has long advocated. Do you really believe that John Bolton, who is smarter than probably 99% of Congress, Republican, Democrat alike, do you really believe that John Bolton is going to sabotage the Trump administration? Do, do you really believe that? The Democrats are convinced that he will. The Democrats were convinced that uh, Robert Mueller would. The Democrats were convinced that the Senate Republicans would betray Mitch McConnell. Turns out that the Senate Republicans, Susan Collins, Lisa Murkowski, and even Mitt Romney are all saying they're not going to subpoena witnesses. That the they're not going to call people who the House should have interviewed and did not, like John Bolton. Mitch McConnell or Mitt, Mitt Romney came out and said, "Yeah, we should hear from John Bolton, but the House never heard from him. We're not going to introduce new impeach new witnesses at a trial." And yet the Democrats are like, "This is the silver bullet. John Bolton's the silver bullet. John Bolton is going to take out Donald Trump." You've got to be living in a hole on the moon to think that John Bolton is going to take out Donald Trump. He's not going to do it. And it's not that he's incapable. That's the thing here. I'm not saying John Bolton is incapable of doing it. I'm saying that John Bolton has no will to do it. John Bolton has no desire to do it. John Bolton is more with Trump than with the Democrats. And we've now got Democrats out there actually saying that uh, Donald Trump has, has made us less. Here's Elizabeth Warren on the president taking out Soleimani. I want to ask you about um, the situation in Iran, um, what the Secretary of State claimed he said not acting not taking Soleimani out um, that the that it the consequences would have been worse than um, than not acting so far from what you've learned what do you believe uh, was the right call here look we are not safer because Donald Trump had Soleimani killed uh, we are much closer to the edge of war yeah, right. Uh, no, actually, that that's that's not true, and and no objective analyst out there actually thinks that that's true. But it's crazy. Again, he, I, I played this in the first hour. Here are the Democrats attacking Donald Trump for taking out Soleimani. Tragically, his actions now put us on the path to another war. He's been erratic and unsuccessful in almost every f previous foreign policy endeavor. This one is the most dangerous yeah. of all. We are not safer today than we were before Donald Trump acted. We seem to have accomplished what Soleimani was trying to do, but couldn't. So in death, he's actually accomplished his goal. Taking out a bad guy is not a good idea unless you are ready for what comes next. This is and was an enormous escalation. Is John Bolton going to side with those people? Is John Bolton going to undermine the president who made the call? to take out the guy John Bolton wanted taken out and he's going to help the Democrats? Do you really believe that's going to be the case? Here's what I have said, and I've said this consistently on this program. I have always thought 
Bolton was going to set it up for the president. And I, I am doubling down on this now. That John Bolton, he selectively leaked out he wasn't happy about withholding aid. He selectively leaked out he thought it, was, it sounded like a drug deal. It was John Bolton's people who released those things. The president fires him, blows up at him on social media. Conservatives attack him, and here comes the stash. And he testifies, and he backs up the president, and destroys impeachment. That's what John Bolton would do. That's what John Bolton would do. John Bolton would not come in and sabotage the president. He wouldn't sabotage the administration. He wouldn't undermine the president for after what the president just did. Now, keep in mind, it has nothing to do with Soleimani. Don't hear me say he's he would only do this because of what the president did with Soleimani. No, I'm saying his worldview is aligned with Donald Trump such that he would not help the Democrats. And if he had any doubts about it, the last week of the Democrats condemning the president for taking out Soleimani would reiterate in his mind that he needs to stand with President Trump. There's just no way he's going to be the silver bullet for the Democrats. Only in left-wing fan fiction is John Bolton the guy who takes out the president. But that's all we've got in the media these days is left-wing fan fiction. Hello there. The phone number here is, what is our phone number? 877 Eric, 877-973-7425. I need more coffee. Uh, Kelly Leffler is now the United States Senator from Georgia. She was sworn in late yesterday by Vice President Pence. I, I texted her a note of congratulations. We're going to try to get her on the program. Uh, also, just uh, for housekeeping, be advised that next week, uh, when next week? Uh, yes, at next week, next Friday, uh, I will have Governor Kemp uh, for the entirety of the program. Uh, well, entirety of one hour of the program. We're actually going to record the interview just full disclosure here um we're gonna we're going to record the interview on the 16th right after he's given the state of the state speech uh, one of the things that he wants to do is crack down on gang crime in georgia uh you know so i was the most painful worst job of my life was being on the city council in Macon, Georgia. I mean, honest to goodness, people, local politics is far nastier than anything at the national level. You know, behind the scenes, uh, conservatives and, and liberals in Congress, a lot of them actually do get along very well. I've got a got a friend of mine who is a, a as the Democrats would call him, a mouth-breathing conservative, and he actually gets along very well with AOC. He says she's very nice. They just disagree on politics, but, but they're kind of in it together and in the swamp of Washington that neither of them likes, and they get along fairly well. And, and I hear this all the time, but it, it, local politics is just, it's ruthless because you get people who yell at you in the grocery store if their trash wasn't collected. That literally happened to me one time. Someone was mad at me because they're trash. And, and I find this very funny because I have, in the last couple of years, uh, have called my city councilman on several occasions because my trash hasn't gotten picked up. The difference was I actually rolled my trash can to the freaking curb. This person is yelling at me because they did not uh, they did not roll their trash can down to the curb in time for the trash truck to come pick it up and couldn't understand why the trash truck could not make a special trip back to their house because after all by god they're a taxpayer. I got yelled at in my front yard one time by my across the street neighbor who was just nuts. Um 
because he he didn't like something I had said in Seacal. It was a horrible job, and it was part-time. I actually had to give it up a few months early to do radio because my, my uh, radio company uh, would not allow me to be an elected official and also have a radio show because it was an election year. It, 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 I was fine, good, done. Uh, it was terrible. But prior to me having gotten elected, uh, we had a, a former mayor who just decided there was no gang problem in Macon and disbanded gang task force, among other things, he and city council. And uh, that, that's been a trend. Uh, apparently, if you believe that there's a gang problem in Georgia, some people believe you are racist. I, I wish I was making that up, and I'm not. Uh, and, well, Governor Kemp has decided that there actually is a gang problem in Georgia, and he wants to do something about it. He wants to be very tough on crime. We're going to talk about it next week, among other things. But uh, just to give you a perspective of, of what we dealt with here, there's a story in, in WMAZ in Macon, Georgia, uh, that the shooting rate in Bibb County, Georgia, that is the middle of the state, nearly tied Chicago last year. 2,600 people were shot in Chicago in 2019. 139 were shot in Bibb County. Population-wise, though, that's actually pretty similar. Nine people out of every 10,000 being shot in Bibb County and in Chicago. That's pretty horrific. We do have a problem. It is Eric Erickson here, the Eric Erickson Show across the state of Georgia. The full number, if you want to be a part of the program, 877-97-ERIC, 877-973-7425. To the phones we go, Jeff, welcome to the program. Uh, hey, Eric. So I appreciate that some time ago you were able to give a perspective on that pallet of cash that Iran was given. Something about it actually being their money. Yes. Um and the frustrating thing about it is the conservative news networks are using that as a talking point about how it's a terrible thing to do. You know, we don't give pallets of cash to, you know, regimes that are going to, you know, mm-hmm. commit acts of violence against us or the world. But that it's not quite the way it was, is it? No, it, it, it's not. So, Jeff, here, here's the breakdown of it. Uh, when the Shah of Iran fell... Iran had the Shah of Iran had put several billion dollars of Iranian money in bank accounts, not in Iran. Uh, they were in Europe and the United States. And when the Iranian revolutionaries took over, all of that money was frozen by those countries. Now, under international law, if you freeze another country's money, uh, you still have to earn interest on the money. You, you can't just hold the money and make it stagnant. It, under international law, there are lots of international finance treaties, and so the money earns interest. Well, that Iranian money, uh, billions of dollars, has been sitting in, in interest-bearing accounts for since 1979. And the total number wound up being somewhere between 125 and 150 billion dollars. Uh, John Kerry, back in 2015, told CNBC that he thought it would wind up on the high side, being about 155 billion dollars. Uh, but once Iran had actually paid off all of its obligations, uh, it had outstanding war debts, it had outstanding debts to victims of terror, or things like that. It would wind up being about 50 to 55 billion dollars. Um, the central Central Bank of Iran actually said it was $32 billion it wound up with, not 150. But the idea that we sent them American money, taxpayer money, or pallet of cash isn't actually true. Uh, what we sent them was uh, their own money that's been in bank accounts bearing interest since 1979. Uh, and we took out a bunch of money for debts that they owed before we sent it to them. Does that make sense? 
You know, it absolutely does. I remember that you said that before. It's just a little disheartening that the uh, conservative news media doesn't point out the fact behind that. They just point out the cursory. Here are the pictures. Here's the pallet of cash. And I, don't, I didn't even know why the Obama administration would not have gone to the trouble and say, hey, let's set the story straight. This is really what it was versus what it wasn't. So it, it just you seems like anytime you leave out part of the truth, you're it's always potentially a lie in some dimension. Yeah, I, I agree with you. And, you know, one of my frustrations with both sides, uh, both sides doing it, is it, I really do think we have an obligation to the truth, and we can look at the truth and come to different outcomes on whether it's good or bad. Uh, but there is a truth out there, and the truth was it was their money. And the, the thing, the reason that the Obama administration didn't want to explain it uh, and the reason they didn't go aggressively to defend it it goes back to the John Kerry interview with CNBC in, in 2015. Because it was Iran's money to begin with, we could not control how Iran chose to use its own money. If we were giving them American sure. tax dollars, we could put strings attached to it. And so Kerry had to admit in the CNBC interview that, yeah, a lot of that uh, 32 to $55 billion that Iran would actually get cash on hand would wind up going to Hezbollah and, and their para paramilitary groups. And obviously the Obama administration didn't want to put the spotlight on that, so they weren't really right. going to defend it. Uh, that's, that's the problem with the truth of the story. Yeah, that's beautiful. Okay. Yep. Glad well, to hey, help you there. Thanks for the explanation. I, I yeah, knew I, you had an answer. I've heard it before, so thank you. Yeah, absolutely. Jeff, thanks very much for calling. 877-973-7425. And again, it is a it is a fact. It is a documented fact. We were sending Iran their own money that has been left in bank accounts since the Shah fell. We did not send them American taxpayer dollars. That's the truth. The truth is also, though, that because we were sending Iran their money, the only thing that we could do is Iran had international obligations under the same finance treaties that required them to, to make these accounts interest-bearing while the money was locked up and away from them. Uh, the same treaties required that Iran pay off their debts before they get the money. So that $150 billion became $55 billion when it got to Iran. But the Obama administration wasn't going to defend it because the Obama administration would have to defend Iran giving that money to terror groups. That All of this is the truth. Y'all, I, I, listen, I, in, I, again, I, I hate to make this sound like the Bible Hour, but I, I actually do believe if, if, if the God I believe in is the way and the truth, then I've got an obligation to the truth. And the obligation to the truth is the obligation to give you as, as much of the truth as I know. And if I'm wrong, tell you I'm wrong. Admit when I'm wrong. And you and I can look at the truth and arrive at different conclusions. There are a lot of Democrats who look at this and they say that the Obama deal was a good thing, even acknowledging that the Iranians sent that $55 billion to terror groups. But that's part of the truth. It, it's still part of the truth. Uh, Wilton, calling from Macon, Georgia. Welcome. Eric, thanks for taking the call. Sure. I, I just listen to the answer that you gave the uh, that you gave the previous caller, and and I, I find myself kind of disagreeing with you a bit on that. Okay. Regardless of, of what we say about how many billions of dollars we sent Iran, there was a, a lot of cost involved in the the amount of damage they did to the embassy, the uh, compensation for the hostage sale for four forty days, four hundred forty four days, which mm -hmm. incidentally uh, one of those guys went to MSG school with my brother, had been in Iran about twenty four hours, but. The fact that we even gave it to them every single day, we charge criminals for their crimes. Mm -hmm. We give them, you know, uh, uh, cash fine. 
we don't give that money back to them at the completion of their term. You know, we kept that money. We should have kept that money for Iran. Mm-hmm. Look, I, I, I totally agree with you. Now, j- just so you understand here, in part, we sent them $155 billion and we deducted $100 billion. And the $100 billion was to cover the cost of the embassy, was to cover the cost of people who had been killed in terrorist attacks by Iranian sponsorship and all that. Frankly, we should have never sent them a penny of it. Uh, it, it Absolutely. Yeah, that You and I will agree on that. Yeah, we, we will agree on, on that. We should have never sent them a penny of it. Uh, we did, however, of the $155 billion or whatever it was we sent to them, we did subtract out $100 billion to pay for victims of terror, uh, to pay for a replacement of the— Now, this is actually— one of the funniest things you and I can laugh over this, Wilton, is you do have to give it to the Obama administration. They did make the Iranians pay for the cost of the American embassy in Iran that we no longer use. Uh, but still, we gave them $55 billion that they used for terrorists. We should have never done that. Absolutely agree, man. Thanks for your time. Thanks yeah, for absolutely. Thanks very much. Y- y- y'all, seriously, y- this it was such a terrible deal. And the Obama administration, again, yesterday, if you weren't here for the first hour, Yesterday on CNN, 13 Obama administration officials were used by CNN to discuss what President Trump had done. Unobjective, they were treated as objective analysts. They all worked for the Obama administration. They all supported the Iran deal, and they all thought it was undermining Obama's legacy for Trump to do what he did. Obama gave $55 billion to the Republic of Iran to use against Americans. Every single American soldier who's been killed in Iraq with an IED in the last number of years, those IEDs were used with the, built with the money that Obama gave to Iran. Don't you forget that. It's ridiculous that we did this. Uh, it, it really, really, really is ridiculous that Obama did this and note that he never went through Congress to do it because he couldn't get Democrats in the Senate to ratify the treaty. All of these Democrats who are complaining about Donald Trump upending the Iran deal, it was the Democrats who upended the Iran deal because they couldn't get a freaking treaty passed through the United States Senate. So Obama had to do it unilaterally and they rushed to get the money out of the United States as quick as possible in case Hillary Clinton as president or Donald Trump, God forbid, got elected and stopped the deal. But let's not, let's keep the truth here. And the truth is it was always their money that we sent them. It wasn't our money. It was the Shah of Iran's money and we returned it. We never should have, but it was their money. Now, Mike in Clarksville, welcome to the program. Mike, how are you? Thank you much, Eric. Uh, I appreciate you standing for the truth. Thank you. Um, My question is, will you ask uh, Governor Kemp, to have Georgia become a Second Amendment sanctuary state. Man, I know he's got some. uh, One of the things he has told me he wants to talk about is he's got some gun initiatives he wants that will, uh, dare I say, liberalize gun laws in Georgia. Mike, I I will ask him that. I'm curious on his take. And I'm glad you brought that up because it's one of the things, man, I have gone off on so many tangents today on stuff I wanted to talk about as as in real time, way too accessible to you people. (laughs) But, you know, it it keeps you on your toes. It keeps me on my toes of of how we steer the show and the stuff we talk about. You never know. Uh, That's why you got to listen. You never know what I'm going to talk about or what I'm going to say on something. Uh, uh, some of you, my wife, just so you understand, my, this is actually personal to me. My wife is a huge proponent of the Second Amendment. She's now got her Harley and she's got more guns. And I got a lot of guns. My wife has more guns than me. 
and she is on a lot of gun email, Second Amendment emails and Facebook groups, and everyone is is losing their freaking mind over what's happening in Virginia. And I, I need to explain this to all of you, and I, I don't mean to offend any of you. I'm not a huge fan of the NRA because I think it's a sclerotic organization that is way past its prime and needs new blood and has just become corrupt and is is not good. I'm a huge fan of Georgia Carey. I am a huge fan of Gun Owners of America. Uh, I, I think they, both of those organizations do much better than the NRA. But as the NRA has declined, there are a number of groups that have fired up, uh, some of which are actually left-wing groups posing as Second Amendment groups. And there are others out there that are just grifters, and they're trying to take advantage of you. Here's what's happened in Virginia, because my wife has been asking me, what's going on in Virginia? What's going on in Virginia? It is true that now that the Democrats control the Virginia legislature and the Democrat, Democrat Ralph Northam is the governor, there are a series of pieces of legislation that they intend to file. Uh, one would be to restrict the purchase of guns to one gun a month. Uh, another would be to cap the size of, of uh, magazines to 10 rounds uh, in, in a gun, which is fairly standard issue. If you get a Glock, I think all of my Glocks have 10, can hold 10 bullets um, per magazine. But um, there, there, there are some that, that are longer, larger than that. They want to ban those. Uh, they want to do deeper background checks to be able to buy a gun. Those are the three big ones. But there are some radical Democrats who have gotten elected in Virginia, and they have drafted legislation. I saw one the uh, yesterday, actually. One piece of legislation yesterday would prohibit gun ranges uh, in any facility that has more than 50 workers in it. This is a piece of gun legislation specifically designed to target the NRA because the NRA is the only entity in Virginia that operates in a, a, operates a gun range in a building that has more than 50 people working in it. Uh, it is specifically designed. Therefore, it would be unconstitutional. It would be a bill of attainer, I, I, I would think. Um, but there's another piece of legislation that would outlaw all guns in Virginia. There's another piece of legislation in Virginia that has been filed that would require people to hand in their guns for fair market value. The state of Virginia would engage in a legal buyback program where they would ban guns in Virginia, but they would have to compensate you for them. And these gun rights groups are, are fundraising off this. Look, Virginia's going to ban guns. They're going to do a mandatory buyback in Virginia. You better give us money to stop this. Here's the thing. None of that legislation is going to pass. The governor doesn't want it, and the Democratic leadership in Virginia doesn't want it. And the only reason you're hearing about it is there are some grifting groups out there who have taken advantage of the decline and fall of the NRA to try to prop themselves up by scaring the crap out of you about Second Amendment issues. Did you know there's a bill in the Georgia legislature? It's, it's pending right now. There is a bill in the Georgia legislature that would prohibit the sale of semi-automatic weapons in Georgia. You can only do single-shot guns for sale in Georgia. And anyone who owns semi-automatic handguns or, or long-barrel guns in Georgia would have to hand them over to the state and they would be compensated. That legislation's pending in the state of Georgia right now. It would ban the sale of semi-automatic weapons and force you to sell your guns back to the state whether or not you wanted to. That legislation is there. Do you know why you're not hearing about it? Because it has no chance of passing. And Georgia is a state controlled by Republicans. And if it ever did accidentally pass, got slipped through in the moment in the, in the night when no one was looking, Governor Kemp would veto it. 
So the gun rights groups aren't fundraising off of that fear. They're fundraising off of your fear about what might happen in Virginia. And we're hearing so much about that. Now, a bunch of of municipalities in Virginia have, in fact, uh, become sanctuary cities where essentially they're saying we're not going if any of these gun restrictions pass, we're not going to honor them. We're not going to take your guns or we're not going to to crack down on uh, these on these shooting ranges and stuff like that. But all the legislation that these sanctuary cities are being created for is legislation that really doesn't have a chance of passing in the Virginia legislature. And you can say, Erickson, how do you know? Because I pay attention to politics. I've done politics for a living. I understand that in Virginia, there are enough people in the suburbs who don't like Republicans and vote a Democrat, but do love their guns, that the Democrats are smart enough to know they can't get this legislation passed. They're not going to try. But these grifting groups are fundraising off it. It's pretty striking that gun owners of America and the National Rifle Association are not running fundraisers off of these pieces of legislation. It's all the startup grifting gun rights groups that are just taking advantage of you. So be careful where you send your money. Speaking of sending money, this show today is sponsored by First Liberty of Georgia. If you are a business, if you are, if you run a business, if you are in charge of the finances of a business and you want to grow your business, First Liberty of Georgia, they're out of Noonan. They're a good company. If you're listening nationwide like the guy in Albuquerque earlier and you run a business nationwide, First Liberty can help you. They're a building and loan. The Frost family makes their own lending decisions. They can help you get access to capital without a bank bureaucracy. If you want to grow your business and you're thinking at the start of this year that you need loans, go to First Liberty of Georgia. Interest rates are great right now, by the way. Go to firstlibertyga.com. That's their website. Talk to the Frost family. Tell them I sent you. Support this show. We have very limited sponsors. We're trying to get more advertisers to keep it going. I pay for most of this out of my pocket. Uh, But First Liberty stepped up and helped me, and I want to help them. And if your business wants to grow this year and you need loans to do it, you need access to capital, firstlibertyga.com should be your starting point. Talk to those guys. They are fantastic. They're good friends. Thanks to First Liberty of Georgia for sponsoring this program. Welcome back. It is Eric Erickson here. You, you know, just a random aside, let's talk the business of radio here for just a minute. We, we decided to do this show in August. Uh, we started, I guess, August 11th, and we're already now uh, into double digits as far as affiliates. Our, our newest is in Macon. Our first was in Athens. Uh, then we got to Clarksville and Rome and, and Dalton and Jasper and Valdosta and Vidalia and... Um, Quitman and, and we're continuing to expand in the state and we obviously need to have advertisers. We kind of did this on a, on a lark and a prayer and, and God's been good. I, I could not do this program without the folks at first Liberty of Georgia. Um, the, the Frost family stepped up uh, day one. I, I told the Frost, I said, here's what I want to do. I want a statewide show. There are no, uh, there are no major news outlets anywhere where a, a person can get on in one area and cover the entire state these days. If the governor wants to get on, he's got to hit individual markets. Um, and I want to do a show where the governor could come on. David Perdue can come on. We're in an election year in 2020. The president, vice president, they can come on. They can hit the entire state of Georgia at one time. And they they loved the idea, and they stepped up. And then Chris Burns with Dynamic Money stepped up. He's become a great friend. Uh, so if you if you need a financial planner, if you need to learn how to do a budget, if you need to get yourself out of debt and come up with a family plan, teach your kids sound financial principles, go to Dynamic Money with Chris Burns. If you need access to capital for your business, you want to grow your business, go to First Liberty of Georgia. I, I could not do this without the frosts. Um, but we also need more advertisers. If you want access statewide, 
to to a statewide audience to promote your business, just let us know here. It's kind of crass. I realize at the end of the show, say, hey, come give me. But seriously, we're growing the show. If you want to get on the ground floor, come on uh, as we continue to pick up affiliates and advertisers. Uh, before I get out of here, uh, before we move into the programming of the day, I, I want to mention the Babylon Bee. I am a, a dear friend of, uh, well, they are dear friends of mine. Uh, the guys there, I love them. They are fantastic people, and they do great work, and they are under attack. If you don't know what the Babylon Bee is, it is one of the funniest sites on the Internet these days. Uh, it is a, a parody site, and it is faith-based. It started out just poking fun uh, within the evangelical community at some of the silly stuff that goes on, and it's gotten into a broader range. I mean, for example, one of the headline stories at the Babylon Bee right now, United Methodist Church to split over whether or not to be Christians. It's actually true. Uh, the, the other headline is Iran declines to sign Colin Kaepernick after reviewing workout video. <laughs> White House hires Mandalorian to protect baby Trump from Iranian bounty hunters. <laughs> oh, but they've targeted CNN and a, a CNN reporter is livid, livid that um, the Babylon Bee gets more traffic than CNN's website now. Consider that a, a CNN reporter is upset that a parody satire comedy site gets more hits on social media than CNN and uh, is upset because some people think the headlines are true. I'm sorry, but when I read a headline that says Iran declines to sign Colin Kaepernick after reviewing workout video, my first thought is that's really funny. Uh, when I read the headline United Methodist Church to split whether over whether or not to be Christians, that's actually fundamentally true at a basic level. Uh, and yet they're being attacked. And here's the thing. Do you know why the Babylon Bee is really being attacked? They're being attacked for daring to poke fun at the people who are used to being the ones to poke fun at others. They're ridiculing the ridiculers. They're targeting the bullies, and the bullies don't like it. And these reporters from different news outlets who are harassing the Babylon Bee, they're harassing the Babylon Bee because the Babylon Bee is doing a better job than they are. And that's why they're upset. <laughs> 